Hey everyone, my name's Eric and I'm the lead pastor here at Freedom and I want to welcome you to our services today. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. If you're new with us, we want you to feel at home. And we are so glad that you've chosen to spend your Sunday with us. You see, for Freedom, church is so much more than just a Sunday service. And we want you to know that the best way to get connected with us is to simply text GUEST to 706-651-8373. I just got a couple of quick things to help you stay in the loop this morning. The best way to get connected and start meeting others is through groups. Small groups are where you can develop real and lasting friendships that go beyond Sunday morning. To find the group perfect for you, simply head over to our website at www.freedombiblechurch.net slash adultgroups to find a place to connect that fits your schedule. Hey parents, we want to let you know that we still have winter retreat signups from January 15th through the 17th, but you got to make sure that you register by December 1st or else the price will go up. Go to freedombiblechurch.net slash students to find out more information and to register. Operation Christmas Child is a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus with children all over the world. We will be collecting shoeboxes on November 15th and November 22nd. Be sure to grab a pre-printed shoebox with instructions on how to pack it in our lobby today on your way out. If you've been visiting Freedom and want to learn more about becoming a partner of our church, I want to invite you to discover Freedom on Sunday, December 6th at 9 a.m. This is a great way to discover next steps on getting plugged into our church. In just a moment, we're going to continue our series on the book of Habakkuk. Prepare your hearts and your minds for learning from God's Word. And again, thanks so much for being with us today. Good morning, church. I am so grateful that you are here and uh, thankful that you have showed up after Thanksgiving, that you've come out of your uh, tryptophan coma and uh, have chosen to worship with us this morning. And so I want to welcome those of you who are online and those of you who are live with us in person. And today we are concluding our series on the book of Habakkuk. One of the things we do here at Freedom is we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll walk through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter and we're c coming to the end of the book of Habakkuk. And, uh, and so I'm super excited about this and we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3 and I don't know about you, but I've really grown to love this prophet. I've really grown to identify with the prophet Habakkuk. And I love the, the, this book because it is so honest and so raw and so real. Like Habakkuk asks God questions that I think all of us would love to ask sometimes and yet are afraid to do so. And I love the fact that this book is really this type of tug of war between God and Habakkuk. And where he is not ashamed to ask questions. He's not ashamed to question God. And, and really, he looks out on the world that he lives in. And he says, God, this doesn't make sense. God, I don't understand what is happening. 
None of this in, the, in this world that I live in makes sense. It doesn't seem fair. Pretty much sums up 2020, doesn't it? Like as we look around the world that we live in, as we look at, at all the things that have transpired this year from pandemics to injustice to riots to elections, and we look at it and we go, God, this doesn't seem fair. That's exactly what the prophet Habakkuk is saying. And really this book is this conversation between the prophet and God. And he starts out and he's super frustrated. And he's like, God, I look around and I see this injustice and I'm so aggravated by it. And he's confused and he's going, God, where are you? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you doing anything about it? Then God responds and says, listen, Habakkuk, you've got to trust me. I've got a plan. You're not going to like the plan, but I've got one. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the nasty, vile Babylonians, and they are going to come and invade and conquer Judah. They're going to capture my people as a punishment for their sin. Which only leads to more questions from Habakkuk. He's like, okay, God, you're right. Hate the plan. What about that other plan? Let's reevaluate what you're going to do. And, and God, again, is like, Habakkuk, you've got to trust. So Habakkuk, in chapter 2, decides, I'm going to wait. I'm going to sit back and wait on God to answer. But then, we get to Habakkuk 3. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, something amazing and something beautiful happens within the prophet's heart. He begins to be transformed. He begins to renew his faith. And though his circumstances have not changed, though everything still remains the same in his life, he has a renewed faith. He has a renewed trust in God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I know for me, like I want my faith to grow. Anybody with me? Like You want to grow in your faith. You want to grow in your trust of God. You want your faith to be renewed and re be developed. And, and here's the reality. I find that a lot of people want to believe God. A lot of people want to trust God. A lot of people want to grow in their faith. But here's the problem. They don't realize that God often takes us through valleys. That all, God often uses hardship. God often uses pain and suffering. God often uses our own, our own sinfulness and our own sin in order to prove His faithfulness and to strengthen our faith. So what ends up happening is this. What ends up happening is instead of, of leaning into God during difficult times, instead of leaning into God during hardship, instead of leaning into God when in the midst of your sin, what people tend to do is they pull away from God. They tend to drift back from God as opposed to leaning into God. But see, God wants to use those times in our lives 
when we're struggling, those times in our lives when we're sinning, those times in our lives when we're disobedient, those times in our lives when we're facing hardship in order to draw us into him, in order to show us his faithfulness, in order to show us who he is so that our faith can be renewed. But so often, instead of drawing near to God, we pull away from God. And here's the reality, that we are the reason we're not closer to God than we are right now. That's, the tr- that's true for every single one of us. If you don't feel like you're closer to God than you should be, or close enough to God that you want to be, you know whose fault it is? Yours. It's not God's. He's not pulling away from you, but what tends to happen is we tend to pull away from Him. We are the ones who make it difficult to grow closer to God. In fact, James The half-brother of Jesus said this. He said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So see what happens, church, when you and I pull away from God because of hardship, when we pull away from God because of sin, when we pull away from God because of disobedience, when we pull away from God because of injustice, when we pull away from God, what happens? God remains exactly where he is. He never moves. We're the ones that move away. So in order for us to draw near to God, in order for us to draw closer to God, we have to draw near to Him. And as a result of that, James says He will draw near to us. And that is exactly what happens in the life of Habakkuk. He has this renewed faith. After waiting to hear God's answer, he has this renewed faith, this renewed trust in God. And so what caused this renewed faith? What caused Habakkuk to go from the valley in chapter 1 to, as we'll see, the mountaintop in chapter 3? Here's the good news, church. That the same spiritual disciplines that allowed Habakkuk to go from the valley to the mountaintop are available for each and every one of us. The same spiritual disciplines that renewed Habakkuk's faith are available to you and I right here and right now. The same spiritual disciplines that caused Habakkuk to move from worry and doubt and confusion to trust and faith and worship are available to you and I right now. And what we're going to see as we look at Habakkuk chapter 3 is we're going to see prayer, remembrance, and trust. Those three disciplines, spiritual disciplines, prayer, remembrance, and trust. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. He says, The prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigenoth. Now, that, that word is simply a musical term. We don't need to dig into it that much. Um, suffice it to say, Habakkuk's getting shiggy with it. Um, but that's, uh, that's all you need to remember about that word. And so, it's a, it's, a, it's a term for music. It's a musical term. And so, what he's saying is this. He's saying, I'm going to write out this specific prayer that I wrote to God. And if you think about this entire book, this entire book of Habakkuk is really a glimpse into the prophet's prayer journal, right? And that's what we've been looking at this entire time. We've been having a glimpse into his prayer journal, a glimpse into who he is and his conversation with God. And in chapter 1, or I mean, excuse me, in chapter 3, Habakkuk reveals his attitude of how his attitude of prayer has changed. 
If you remember the first chapter, his prayer was questioning God. God, why, 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 why? Yet in chapter 3, his attitude shifts and his attitude toward prayer changes. And what happens is this. Habakkuk says this. He says, God, I don't understand. I still don't understand. I don't understand your plan. I don't understand all that's going on in the world around me. I don't get it. I don't grasp it. But here's one thing I do know. God, I know who you are. Look at verse 2. He says, Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. And of your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What is he saying? Habakkuk is simply saying this, God, you have spoken directly to me. I wrote down what you said in, 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 ver- in chapters 1 and 2. In my journal, I've written down what you've spoken to me. But he's also saying this, I've also read the stories of Scripture. The stories that have been passed down among the Jewish people for generation to generation to generation. I've heard those stories. I know those stories. And he's saying, God, I've seen and I know that you've worked in the past. I don't see exactly how you're working now, but I know who you are. And I know that you've worked in the past, and I know that you can do it again. That's what he's saying. Look what he says. Lord, I've heard of the report of you. In other words, I know who you are. I know your character. I know your heartbeat. I know who you are. I've heard the report. I've read the scriptures. I've studied them. And I, and I know who you are. I've heard about the miracles. I've heard about your power. I don't see it happening right now, but God, I know that you can do it again. That's why he says, revive the work in my days. Renew the work in the days that we live in. God, do it again. In the midst, and then he goes, in the midst of your wrath, in the midst of your punishment for the people of Judah and their sin, in the midst of your wrath, what does he say? Remember mercy. What does Habakkuk know? He knows that God is long-suffering. That God is loving. That God is patient. That God, in His wrath, can remember, can remember mercy. Can remember grace. He say, listen, God, I know your plan is going to happen. I know that wrath is going to come for your people. I know that we're going to be punished for our sin. But God, in the midst of your wrath, Remember who you are. You are a just, yes, God, but you're also, you're also a merciful God. You're also a grace-filled God. That's exactly what Habakkuk's praying. Now, I know there's been times in my own life when, when God's presence has, has felt more nearer than others. In times where God's power has been more evident than others. Any of you experience that? Like there's times where, where we go through these seasons where there, we feel like God's closer to us than, than in, in other seasons. And, and quite honestly, this season that we've been in this year has been tough. It has been a challenging season for, for our family, for our church, for many of you. 
Um, it, has been, it has been incredibly difficult. You think about it. Before COVID, what was happening in our church? There's a lot of momentum. God was doing some really cool things. New people were showing up. God was starting to, to, to work and do what He had done at Freedom for years and years and years. And, and amazing things were happening. And God was doing some really, really cool things. He was moving in really unique ways. And then everything came to a halt. Just like that, everything stopped. Everything stopped. Everything was up and to the right, and then everything flatlined. And church, that is hard. And it has been frustrating. And it has been difficult. Because you see, I've seen people, and I've talked with people that have used this pandemic as an excuse to break fellowship with God. I've talked with and I've seen people use this pandemic to drift in their relationship with God. I've, I've talked to and I've seen people that have used this as an excuse to separate themselves from the church. And to no longer attend church even though they could. Now listen, I'm not talking about those of you who are joining online that are in a vulnerable situation. That's not who I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about the people that once would sit in this room and yet they've completely fallen off the map. They're no longer joining us online. They're no longer in the church. Church, that is so, as a pastor, and it breaks my heart. Why? Because I know the power of community with God's people. Even if you're in a vulnerable situation and you can't be here, you can still have fellowship with us. You can still gather with us online. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those that have made excuses for why they don't show up to church anymore, even though they could. Or don't show up to a small group, even though they could. They've used, a, they've used this pandemic as a way to forsake the assembling of one another. And the result of that is always going to be drifting from God. You may not feel it now, you may not sense it now, but it will happen. If you forsake assembling with God's people, you will eventually begin to drift in your relationship with Him. Listen, it has been frustrating to see people stop serving, stop giving, stop following Christ. Listen, for those of you online and in this room, there is nothing that, that COVID can do to stop you from reading your Bible. There's nothing that COVID-19 can do to stop you from praying. And yet, this has become an excuse for why people have drifted in their relationship with God. And so, a few months back, even before we decided to teach this, this book of Habakkuk, I had kind of a Habakkuk moment. I just felt like God pressing me and convicting me, saying, Eric, you, you need to pray. You need to pause and just begin to pray and, and ask me to do it again. Like, you need to remember what I've done in the past and ask me to do it again. And so I, I was like, God, just renew our church. Renew me as the pastor. Renew our body. Help us to grow in the midst of separation. Help us to grow in the midst of, of these challenges that we face. And, and I was like, God, I know you can. I've seen you do it before. In fact, I've seen you do it over years and years and years of following you and of being a pastor. 
And God, I was just like, God, you just please show up in amazing ways. I know you've done it before. Now, Lord, do it again. And maybe you're here and are listening and watching this morning and, and you're looking for God to show up in your life. You're looking for God to show up in your family. You're looking for God to show up in your marriage. You're looking for God to, to show up in your relationship with your kids. You're looking for God and longing for God to show up in our church, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our nation. Listen, make Habakkuk's prayer your prayer. God, please. I know you've worked in the past. Please, God, do it again. That's Habakkuk's prayer. God, just please do it again. But ultimately what he's praying, he's praying for God's will to be done. We've, we know from earlier in this book that what he, when God tells him what he's doing is not what Habakkuk would have chosen for himself, and yet he accepts God's plan even though he doesn't understand it. He's like, God, I don't understand it, but I accept what you're going to do, and I pray that your will would be done. Just remember mercy in the midst of your wrath. And so ultimately he's praying that God's will would be done. Church, I never would have chosen, none of us would have chosen to go through this year that we've gone through. None of us would have, would have chosen to stop gathering in person as a, as a church for a season. None of us would have chosen to go through a pandemic. None of us would have chosen any of that. But yet, God has been faithful and God has been doing amazing things in the midst of our church. Even when we can't see it. I want you to think about this, just a few things that, that, that just popped in my head as I was preparing this message. One, since the pandemic, our student ministry has more than doubled. Like this summer, our student ministry has doubled. We were having around 15 students uh, back before COVID. Now we're having over 30. If they all showed up at one time, probably over 40 students. I mean, that our leaders in our student ministry has, has grown exponentially. I mean, God's doing amazing things in the students of our church. But not only that, every single week we have new people join us in person and online. God is bringing new families and new people into our church, and we're so grateful for the relationships that we have with them. Every week, literally every week, God brings new people. And they either join us online or they join us in person. And God is continuing to work and continuing to move in remarkable ways. Not only that, this, this year, this, during this pandemic, we have launched three community groups in order to move our ministry out of the four walls of this church and into our communities in Evans, Grovetown, Augusta, and we have seen people connect there, and I get to hear stories every week from our, from our small group leaders, and, and even in the hallways. Last week, I was listening to a conversation in the hallway based on some discussion that had happened the Wednesday before in community group. Somebody was saying, you know what, I need to get in God's Word this week. I need to discover some more answers to these questions that we were asking last week. What is that? That is growth. That is God moving. That is God actively participating in the life of our church to grow our faith and to help us become more and more like Jesus. But not only that, I've seen God renew faith 
and grow people individually within our church. I've seen him bring people to repentance. I've seen him bring people to strengthen their faith. I've seen him bring people to trust him more. Listen, church, God never stopped working. He is continually working. He's all, even when we don't see it, we can know that he's working. Right? And so the first thing Habakkuk does is he prays. He goes, God, I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. But one thing I do know is I know who you are. And I'm going to trust in who, in who you are. And I'm going to trust that you've never stopped working. And that what you were doing in the past, you will do again. Second thing we see that happens in Habakkuk's life is, is remembrance. Now in verses 13, or 3 through 15, we're not going to have time to read all those verses uh, this morning. But I do encourage you to go and read those verses on your own. But in, in chapter 3, verses 3 through 15, what Habakkuk does is he walks through the history of Israel. And he walks through what God had done in the past. And what God, how God had moved from the moment of, the, of, of Israel being in the desert, out, coming out of Egypt, in the wilderness of Sinai, all the way to the promised land. And he basically recounts an entire history of the nation of Israel. And he's just showing over and over and over again how God had been faithful, how God had moved, how God had done this, and how God had done that. And over and over and over again, he's remembering God's faithfulness, and he's remembering God's goodness. See, one of the, one of the most powerful things that you and I can do in our prayer lives is to keep a journal and to go back and recount all the ways that God has answered our prayers. All the ways that God has moved and worked in our lives. One of the most powerful things we can do in prayer that will renew and strengthen our faith is to remember how God has worked in the past. Listen, if you don't keep a prayer journal, man, I encourage you to start today. And it doesn't have to be fancy. Just literally, you pray for something, jot it down. And every once in a while, go back, and you'll go back, and you'll say, oh, wow, look what God did. He answered this prayer, and he answered that prayer, and he moved in this way, and he did these things. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing in these verses. He's recounting over and over again all the faithful ways that God has moved and how, how God has worked. He's reminding himself of the miracles that God had performed in the nation of Israel to deliver them from the Egyptian slavery. And you, as you go through it, you'll see he remembers their captivity in Egypt. He remembers him, the, the, the Red Sea. He reminds himself of how, of how God led them for 40 years in the wilderness. And he shows how God brought them to the promised land. He reminds himself over and over and over again of the faithfulness of God. Have you ever noticed how certain things trigger certain memories? Like Thanksgiving probably brought back some memories. Like you walked into your grandmother's house and you smelled mothball, I mean apple pie, and uh, it reminded you of grandma, right? Or if you're from my generation, like every time you hear uh, Ario Speedwagon, can't stop that feeling, you know, what happens? You remember your first uh, couple skate, remember that? Like certain memories trigger certain things. 
And, uh, and so, you know, can't fight this feeling reminds you of that first person you held hands with as you were skating in the skating rink. I mean, we all have those things that trigger our memories. And, and the same is true for us spiritually. The same is true in our lives spiritually. That God puts things in our lives that remind us of his faithfulness. Those triggers that help us realize that God is always faithful. Because God's past faithfulness assures us of his future faithfulness. And that is exactly what Habakkuk's doing. And here's here's the truth, church. If, if If you have the moment where you don't see God working, when you can't remember and you're like, God, I don't know how you're going to work in this situation. I don't know what you're going to do. Uh, here's what you need to do. You need to go back to who, what you know or who you know God is and remember how he's worked in the past. Like for me, I remember in high school. I was a sophomore in high school, and my parents had started going to church, and we were, we were like our entire lives had radically changed. I was like, God, just if you're real, Jesus, if this whole Jesus thing is real, then show me. And I remember getting on a, a bus that I was coerced to go to a youth camp. And uh, I remember standing on that bus, and it was like God hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. And I, in that moment, I knew he was real. So before the first message was even preached at youth camp, before we even left the parking lot, I went to my Sunday school teacher. I was like, listen, Mr. Joseph, I need to know Jesus. And he taught, walked me through the gospel. I remember a few years later in college, my freshman year, having drifted away from the Lord, I remember having one of those Joshua, choose this day who you're going to serve moments. Like I can always go back to that moment and God just in my dorm room saying, Eric, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to be? Are you going to follow me or are you going to follow the world? You can choose, but you got to choose today. I remember my senior year in college, where I, th- I was getting ready to go on and take on the world as a marketing major, graduating from the University of Georgia. And, and this church calls outside of Athens and says, hey, we want you to come be our youth pastor. And I'm like, nah. I mean, well, I, can, I will, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only, I got a little bit of time, and then I'm going to, to go into marketing. I'm going to go work for Chick-fil-A or Coke or whatever. And what happens? God says, no, Eric, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. I want you to devote your life to serving the church. Like, I remember those moments. I remember praying for people to get healed and healing comes. I remember answered prayers over and over and over again. I remember when Nicole and I were first married and we were broke as a joke. I was a, I was a, a young pastor. She was a young school teacher. We had nothing. And the tires on my Ford Ranger were bald as they could be. And we're just praying, God, provide for us new tires. Well, what happens? The guy walks up to me at church. Hands me a check and says, go get tires for your truck this week. God, over and over, God's been faithful. I remember so many times, like with the, with the miracle of the birth of our boys, with the provision and the promise of our adoption of Emma, I remember over and over God's faithfulness. I can go back and remember how clearly God called me to be the pastor here at Freedom. Like it was so clear and so evident to Nicole and I that this is exactly where God wanted us to be. So I can go back and remember those things. So what are your triggers? What are those things that remind you of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness, 
in your own life. And some of you are going, well, God, Eric, I've never experienced anything like that. I've never experienced uh, you know, God showing up and doing and working in radical, incredible ways. Listen, if you've been a follower of Jesus more than a minute, you can, I guarantee you, if you just pause for a second and look back, you will be able to see God's faithfulness. The fact that He saved you from your sin and redeemed you is a miracle among all miracles. Perhaps the trigger for you is your baptism. Perhaps the trigger for you is a time where you stepped into church and the message was directly for you. Or the time where God placed someone in your life at just the right moment, at just the right time, to speak just the right words into your life. Whatever it is, over and over and over again, God has proven Himself faithful and we need to pause in order to remember. And so Habakkuk, first and foremost, he prays, and he's like, God, your will be done. I don't understand it, but my attitude in prayer is I don't understand all the circumstances around me, but I understand who you are. Second thing he does is he remembers. He goes back and he remembers God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And as he does that, he begins to be lifted up out of the valley. And I believe that when you and I are going through the valley of doubt, when you and I are going through those times where we feel disconnected from God, when we start praying, when we start remembering, God's going to begin to lift us up out of that valley into the third discipline that, that Habakkuk says and that has, and that is trust. Trust. You see, our prayer, praying God's will to be done, praying that, God, I know who you are, even though I don't understand the circumstances, and remembering his faithfulness in the past will always lead us to trust him for the future. It will always lead us to trust him in the presence. And what happens is Habakkuk gives one of the greatest confessions of faith found anywhere in Scripture. He gives one of the greatest confessions and, and, and expressions of faith, knowing that his nation is going to be judged. Knowing that the sin of Judah is going to be judged. Knowing that the Babylonians are coming. Knowing that people are going to be captured and taken into captivity. Knowing that some people in the midst of that captivity are going to die. Yet, Habakkuk tells God, he says, I will trust you no matter what. I will praise you anyhow. Even in the midst of this horrible things that are happening, I am going to praise you. There's three statements that we find in this, in this confession of faith of Habakkuk that really point to what trust in the Lord looks like. And the first one is this, I will wait patiently on the Lord. I will wait patiently on on the Lord. Look at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. I just want you to picture in your mind the, the, the fear and the angst that Habakkuk has knowing what's coming. Knowing that things are going to get worse before they get better. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet. Listen to what he says. Yet. Yet, yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. What's he referring to? He's referencing chapter 2 where he says, listen, yes, Judah will be invaded, but the Babylonians will get what they deserve. 
And he says, I'm going to wait patiently on God. I know things are going to be bad. I know things are going to be difficult. I know things are going to be hard. But I am going to wait patiently on the Lord. You see, one of the marks of trust, one of the marks of faith, is our willingness to wait patiently on God. Because church, we get in serious trouble when we start to take matters into our own hands. We get in serious trouble when we start to to outpace God and refuse to wait on Him. Just think about Abraham. God had promised Abraham a son. He said, you and Sarah are going to have a son. Well, what happens? The son doesn't come. Not on their timetable. So they take matters in their own hands. Sarah gives gives, uh, Abraham her maidservant to be his his wife, he marries her, has a child named Ishmael. And we can trace every single issue in the Middle East back to that one mistake of Abraham not being willing to wait on the Lord. Think about Moses. Moses, God had, had spoken to Moses and said, you're going to deliver my people from, from uh, Egyptian bondage. Well, what does Moses do? He takes matters into his own hands. He kills an Egyptian that was beating a Jew, a Jewish slave. That one mistake cost him 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the desert running and hiding from the Egyptians. One mistake, taking matters into his own hands. Listen, when we are unwilling to wait patiently on the Lord, it will cost you dramatically. And Habakkuk is saying, listen, I will wait patiently on the Lord. Why? Because it's one of the marks of our faith at work. It's one of the marks of, us faith, of our faith. Now, notice, I want you to notice here in this passage that Habakkuk knows God's plan. He realizes that things are going to get worse before they get better. He knows that the world he lives in is going to fall into more turmoil, more injustice, more, more pain, more suffering, and yet, in fact, he even says to the point where his body is trembling, his heart's pounding, his lips are quivering, and his legs are like jello. That's how much he knows that things are going to get worse before they get better. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm afraid if I were in his shoes, I'd start taking matters into my own hands. I start trying to maneuver things and work things and find some angles to make things easier for me, to make things lighter for me, to make that burden uh, less painful. And so I would try to start manipulating the situation, but that's not what he does at all. What does he say? He says, I will wait and I will trust the Lord to keep his promises. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust the Lord. He accepts what God's doing, even though he doesn't like it, even though he doesn't understand it. He chooses to accept it. And that's what trusting in the Lord and waiting patiently on the Lord looks like. No matter what we see, no matter how we feel, we have to depend upon God's promises and allow ourselves not to fall apart even though everything else around us is. And our ability to wait on the Lord is dependent upon what we focus on. Here's what I mean. If Habakkuk had focused on his feelings, he never would have said, I will wait on the Lord patiently. Why? Because look at verse 16. He's scared to death. 
If he had focused on his circumstances, he never would have declared, I will wait patiently on the Lord. Why? Because he could look at the circumstances around him and realize that things are going to get worse before they get better. But what does he do? Instead, he looks up by faith. He focuses on the goodness and the greatness of God. And therefore, he is able to declare, I will trust him and I will wait patiently upon the Lord. And his fears and his angst begin to fade because his trust and his focus is on God. Doesn't mean his circumstances changed because they didn't. But his perspective changed. What he was focusing on changed, which led him to the second statement in this confession of faith. And it is this, that I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Now listen to how bad things are going to get. He knows things are going to get worse before they get better. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit trees be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. Pretty bad days, right? But look what he says in verse 18. Yet, another, another yet, yet I will what? Rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. See, at face value, Habakkuk had nothing to rejoice over. Things were getting ready to get incredibly bad. Things were getting ready to go in the tank. Things were getting ready to, to completely collapse. I mean, he even says, there's not going to be crops, there's not going to be herds. We're going to be wiped out. It's going to be really, really bad. We're going to go into a great depression like no one's ever seen before. And he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He couldn't rejoice in his circumstances, but he could rejoice in the God of his salvation. And that's exactly what he does. Why? Because he knew, Habakkuk knew that God was still on the throne. Habakkuk knew that God was still sovereign, that God was still in control, and God was continuing to work out His divine purposes for His people. Reminds me of a promise that, that Paul wrote in Romans. In Romans chapter 8, he says, We know. In other words, this is a promise from God. This is something we can be certain of. This is something we can be sure of. We know that for those who love God, for those who love God, all things, how many things? All things work together for the good. Doesn't mean all things are good. He says they work for the good to those who are called according to his purpose. Habakkuk was living that promise before Paul wrote those words. He knew that God was on the throne. He knew that God could come through. He knew that God would come through and he's resting and he's relying and he's rejoicing in the Lord, not in his circumstances. Man, what a great example for you and I to follow. Even though my marriage is falling apart, even though the kids that I've raised know better, even though I prayed for healing and it didn't happen, even though I don't like what's going on, I don't understand what's going on, even though I know God could, but he hasn't, Yet, I will trust in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I will have joy in the God 
of my salvation. It's exactly what Habakkuk says. Then the third statement, the final statement is this. I will rely on the Lord. I will wait, I will rejoice, and I will rely on the Lord. Look at verse 19. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. And then he concludes this with the, to the choir master with stringed instruments. In other words, rock this thing out. Because the Lord is my strength. He makes me, my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Listen, church, because of Habakkuk's faith in God, because of his trust in God, he goes from trembling, wobbly, knee-knocking legs to being steadfast as a deer, to being as stable as a deer. Have you ever watched a deer run through the mountains or through the woods? So nimble and, and so fluid. And he's saying, listen, my knees were knocking, and now I'm on steady ground. Now my feet are secure. Now I'm able to run swiftly. Now I'm able to go higher than I've ever gone before. Listen, church, God has made us for the heights. God has made us for an abundant life that He provides. God has made us to know Him and to draw near to Him and to trust Him and to have faith in Him. And yet, sometimes God allows us to go through the valleys. Sometimes He allows us to go through the difficult times so that we can get to the mountaintop when we, when we learn to wait for Him, when we learn to rejoice in Him, and when we learn to rely on Him. That's what trust looks like. That's what faith looks like. And by doing so, what is God doing? He's drawing us near. When we wait on Him, when we rejoice in Him, when we rely on Him, He's drawing us near. He wants to lift us above our circumstances. Just like He did Habakkuk, He lifts Him above His circumstances and puts Him on the mountain, puts Him on the heights. That's the exact same thing He wants to do to us. He wants to lift us above our circumstances so that we can walk on new heights with Him. He wants, to, he wants to take us through difficult things in order so that even though things are falling apart all around us, even though life is, is caving in all around us, we will come to a point where we will rely on Him to get us through. But here's what I want you to know. Just because we wait on Him, just because we rejoice in him and just because we rely on him doesn't mean our circumstances are going to change it doesn't mean that things are going to work out exactly like we want them to that's not what that means at all doesn't mean that god's always going to change our circumstances though sometimes he will sometimes he will but it doesn't mean that that is exactly what is going to happen but what he's going to do is he's going to change us so that we can face our circumstances with renewed trust and renewed faith in Him. So that we can look at the things that are going around us. And even though it is chaotic, and even though it is falling apart, and even though it is, it is 
it looks terrible around us and we know that things are going to get worse before they get better. Even though we know all of those things, what we can do is we can look those circumstances straight in the face and say, I'm going to worship God anyhow. I am going to trust God anyhow. I am going to praise God anyhow. That, church, is what it means to live by faith. Going back to Habakkuk 2, verse 4, what did he say? The just shall live by faith. And then Habakkuk 3, we see him living by faith. Because he's learned to wait. He's learned to rejoice. And he's learned to rely. And my prayer for each and every one of us, those of us in this room and those watching online, my prayer is that every single one of us would grow to have Habakkuk 3 type faith. My prayer is that every one of us would grow to have that type of faith, that type of trust in God, where we will trust God, we will praise God, we will worship God no matter what. That we would have Habakkuk chapter 3 type faith. But here's the reality, church. You don't get Habakkuk 3 faith until you start asking Habakkuk 1 questions. And you don't start experiencing Habakkuk 2 waiting. See, when we do that, then we can get to the point where we have Habakkuk 3 type of faith. You see, it is in those low times, it is, it is in those valleys that God proves His trustworthiness, that God proves His character, that God proves His goodness and His faithfulness, His grace and His mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. See, when I... When I first started following Jesus as a 16-year-old in high school, I had a really immature faith. I could have never had this Habakkuk 3 type of faith where I would trust God anyhow. Which I think is part of the reason I drifted away from Him after leaving home and leaving the comfort and the shelter of my parents' home and the faith that they had. Because my faith wasn't strong enough. It wasn't secure enough. And, and, I be, and it was such an immature faith that it, it was hard to trust God anyhow. But here's what, here's what I know. After following Jesus for over 30 years, for, the, for, for the, the fact that I've been walking with Jesus for the majority of my life now, I've walked with Him long enough and through enough yesterdays to know that he's always going to be faithful in my tomorrows. See, for those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, you know that same feeling, right? You've seen God be faithful in enough yesterdays that you can trust him for your tomorrows. And if you're here and you're listening and your faith is immature and your faith is weak, listen, stick with him. Because as you walk with him over and over and over again, if you learn to trust him by waiting patiently, by rejoicing in Him and relying upon Him, you too will grow to have that same type of faith where you will have walked with Him for enough yesterdays to know that He is always, always, always faithful in all of your tomorrows. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much that You are faithful that you are good, that you are righteous, 
that your character never changes, that in the midst of your wrath you always remember mercy because you are merciful. And Jesus, we are so grateful for that and thank you so much for that truth. And Father, I pray that you would help us to have this Habakkuk 3 type of faith where we would be able to to wait patiently for you where we would have the ability to rejoice in you regardless of our circumstances and where we will rely upon you in all things. But Father, we know that that Habakkuk 3 faith requires Habakkuk 1 questions. It requires us to wrestle things down. It requires us to be open and honest with you. It requires us to ask the hard questions of why. And then it requires us to wait on you to answer. Father, give us that type of faith. Father, for those here that have, that have never placed their faith in you, that have never started walking with you, Lord, give them the courage to say yes to you. And right there, whether you're watching online or in this room, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, he is calling you and you say, listen, come to me. Place your trust and your faith in me for your salvation, for your redemption, and I will redeem you. I will save you. And we simply come to him in faith, by his grace, believing that his death, his burial, and his resurrection are sufficient for our salvation. So Father, for those of us who are Christians, who are maybe going through our own valleys right now, help us just to realign our hearts towards you. Help us to begin praying your will be done. Help us to begin to remember your faithfulness over the years. And help us to trust you knowing that because you've been, in, you've been faithful through all of our yesterdays, you will continue to be faithful in our todays and our tomorrows. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, now is a time where we get to respond. One of the things we love to do is respond to God's Word. In fact, Scripture teaches that when we, when we hear God's Word preached and when we hear God speak, we respond in faith. For some of you, that response is going to be coming down here to the altar, making your chair your altar, and just kneeling down and saying, God, I need to learn to trust you again. Maybe there's an area in your life where you're asking God to do it again, to show up again, to, to become the way maker and make a way for where you can't see how he's working, you can't see what he's doing. And maybe that's your prayer. For others of us, it's the, taking that initial step of placing our faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. Whatever God is leading you to do, I encourage you to do it. For those of us who are Christ followers, one of our steps of faith is giving back to the work of the Lord. There's offering boxes in the back. that You can go online to our website if you're watching online to, to figure out how you can give. Because when we give, that is an act of faith. We are waiting patiently on the Lord. We are rejoicing in Him by giving our resources away and we're relying on Him to provide. Whatever God's leading you to respond, my encouragement is you respond. Do what He calls you to do. Be obedient. Let's stand. Let's worship. Let's respond to Him in faith. Because the God who is always faithful 
in our yesterdays will continue to be faithful in our todays and all of our tomorrows. And he deserves our worship.